This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Amen. Uh, if you guys have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, we are, have just started this year, kind of our theme around this idea of heart renovation. And uh, for those of you who are new and just coming in for the first time, uh, one thing we've realized is that Jesus did not just come to offer salvation, but came to take that heart that he's rescued and made new and then to form it into be more like him. And one thing we recognize is that if the heart is healthy, families are healthy, governments are healthy, um, jobs are healthy, your emotions are healthy. The heart is the center of who we are, and God is just passionate about it. And informing that heart, that soul, that inner part of who we are, our spirit, into his likeness. And so we've been talking about this this picture, this metaphor of renovation, and we're in right now a renovated building. And as we began the process of renovating this physical space, like every other renovation, you actually don't start by swinging a hammer. You start by getting an accurate picture of what you want to do, whether you call that a rendering, um, whether you call that a vision. And so this month, we're just talking about, okay, if Jesus renovated our heart, what's the end goal? What would our heart look like? And by the way, even though we're spending a few months on this, this is something that will take all of our lives. But what's the end result? What, where should we end up? Where it's, what's the picture on the box of the thing that God is now putting together within us? And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how at the foundation of who we are becoming is the idea of the beloved. And this week, we're going to be talking about another side of, of that and kind of an additive on that. It's just as foundation. And if you're taking notes, it's around the word um, resurrection. And uh, I, I'm, as I've been studying the scriptures around this topic of what is the end goal of our life, I can't get around this, this continual theme throughout scripture that Jesus' end goal was not the cross, he went through and, and endured the cross for the joy that set before him. Because right now, he currently, at this moment, is sitting at the right hand of God in his glory, in his resurrected state, ruling and governing his kingdom on earth and in heaven. And that end goal, that resurrected state, the resurrected Christ, is not something that he's at and we get to observe. He's calling us into that same reality. Scripture multiple times says that we're co-heirs with Christ. We're going to be ruling and reigning in that resurrected state. But the, where we could be misled is thinking that resurrection is something that happens after we die in this world rather than it being a reality that God is doing within us now. We are to become a resurrected people. That our hearts are to have resurrection life. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us right now. Now, so if we were to just fast forward, okay, what's the end goal? All the renovation is done. What should our lives look like? Well, we should look like the beloved who live in resurrection life and power. That should be the end goal because that's the end goal of Christ. 
He is the beloved son who is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning in his glory. And he's calling us to be co-heirs with him. And so uh, I love the, the Apostle Paul, while writing to a church in Corinth, uh, has these words. This is found in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 through 18. It should be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But he says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The thing you can't see, it's separating you. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, here's this key word, contemplate the Lord's glory, right, his risen state, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I mean, this is, I love this passage. And it's a passage that I've heard, but only in sections, but all together, it's beautiful. It's talking about that we are being transformed into the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory. But there's two components that the scripture reveals. Number one, that it happens when we contemplate Christ's glory. So, and then that word contemplate is this Greek word. I think it'll be on the screen if you can read it. Um, Kataprizo. And this word kataprizo means to look intensely on, to gaze into a, a reflection, as you would a mirror. And as you look into Christ's resurrected state in his glory, it says that we begin to be transformed into his likeness. So that, that's point number one. It's what do you, what you see changes you. What you see changes you. The second thing that it says here is this is from the Spirit. So it's not just what we're seeing, but it's also the Spirit's work in our lives that transforms and changes us into His image. And those are our two points today. We're going to be kind of going over this. What we see and the Spirit inside of us will get us to that place of living with the resurrection life. And you might just be like, well, how can seeing something change you? And uh, you clearly have never seen a kung fu movie. Because growing up as a little boy, whenever I would watch any sort of movie with like a ninja in it, what would I do after the movie? Who did I become? I'm a, I'm a ninja, clearly. And not just when I was a boy. I remember like sitting in the theaters as a, uh, as a grown man watching The Last Samurai and leaving that movie theater being like, I was born to be a samurai. I, I don't know what it is, it just kind of comes over me. I'm like, man, I was made for this because I'm, I'm seeing something so compelling that it starts to change who I am, the stories that I believe, the desires that I want. Um, and it happens, I remember growing up and we would watch basketball and we'd go outside and play basketball because what we just saw, we want to become. And so when we see accurately the resurrected Christ, it does something in us. It calls us into who we were always meant to be. It's a life that cannot be conquered even by death. Because Jesus was a forerunner of the resurrection. He showed us what we were always meant to be. And, and, and so and just something that illustrates that more. The thing that I saw that changed me more than anything was when I met my wife. Um, and I've, I've shared this story in some different ways. But I, I show up at this Bible college, this small little Bible college, and I'm just out of high school. I, I still have braces. Um, I just came out of a band. I probably weighed like 110 pounds soaking wet. You know, probably didn't even wear deodorant. I was a mess. 
And I get, by the grace of the living God, get sat right next to Jen. And she's a senior, straight-A student, dean's list, uh, Christian Character Award winning student. I mean, she's the belle of the school, right? And so he, here we are, this unlikely couple. And I've never met anyone like Jen. To this day, I've never met anyone like my wife. And I see her and I meet her and we become friends and I am amazed. And I start to entertain this idea like, what if she would date me? What if I could fool her, right? Because you only got to fool one. What if I could fool her into marrying me? And what happened is as I looked into my future wife, as I looked and contemplated and gazed into who she was, I started changing. Because I realized that she didn't need a freshman boy. She needed a man. And all my peers were in boyland, right? They're just hanging out and staying up till 2 a.m. And, and barely passing their classes. And I realized, Jen will never be with me if, I, if I'm acting like everyone else my age. And so what happened is as I looked into something that captivated my heart, is I started becoming or trying to become the man that she needed rather than the boy that I always was. And um, somehow, fooled her. So, so I think this morning, that the first thing we're going to be focusing on is if we can see, have an accurate view of the resurrected Christ, it'll start changing us. And it started changing his disciples. If you have your Bible, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 17. This is actually before Jesus died and resurrected. This is just a glimpse, a sneak peek, a preview that his disciples had into his glorious state. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, it's that word transformed we've been talking about, before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. This is a good day if you're a Jewish person, right? You're hanging out with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And you're hanging out on top of this mountain, probably doing some bouldering with Jesus, you know, just casually. And all of a sudden, your heroes show up. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters or three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Sound familiar? It's the same words that the father spoke over his son before he performed one miracle. And now here he is in his glorious state in the same words. What a beautiful picture of our father. He's our, we're our beloved when we've done nothing and we are his beloved when we are in our most glorious state. It spans all of it. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until what? The Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Why would he say this other than the fact that what they just saw was his resurrected state? 
Don't tell anyone what you saw until actually I fulfilled this. They got that sneak peek. This is Christ in his glory. I mean, let's just unpack this a little bit. So here's Jesus. He's doing some ministry. And he invites the, the kind of his three closest apprentices and says, hey, follow me up this mountain. And so they begin this six-day journey. You're like, what kind of mountain is this? Well, it's, it's Mount Hermon. It's the highest mountain around the Judea area. It's about almost 10,000 feet. Uh, Big Bear is about 8,500, just so you can kind of get some scale. So imagine, no cars, right? no horses. You're walking up to the top of Big Bear and beyond. So this is a hike, and they're on their way up the mountain, and, and they're probably just wondering, what is Jesus up to? What's going on there? And they get to the top of this mountain, and this massively divine, awe-inspiring, profound moment happens on this mountain. It's interesting, the Old Testament has another name for this mountain, and it's called Sinai. This is the same mountain where God showed up and as a cloud and spoke to Moses and gave him the law and the Ten Commandments. They're in the same place. And they, they respond as every other person in Scripture responds, and they're just like dead. They're like, what, what is happening? But you have to keep in mind, it's not just Jesus, but Moses and Elijah. And again, if, you're, if you were a, a first century Jew, and even to this day, Moses is the man. He's, he's the, the father, really, of the, of the law and the covenant. He's everything for the Jewish imagination. And then attached, and then next to him is Elijah, who is the father of all the other prophets. And so when they say the law and the prophets, guess who they think about? Moses and Elijah. They're right there hanging out with Jesus. And Peter responds, he's like, I should make tabernacles for all three of you guys, which gives us an insight into, uh, you immediately be like, well, why does he think they're all the same? But I mean, can you imagine how highly he thinks of Jesus to put him in the same category as Moses and Elijah? But then what happens next is shocking. A cloud comes over. The Father speaks the words of his beloved Son over him. And as he speaks, they just hit the deck. They're just gone. They're like, we're going to die. This is not good. And Jesus literally comes and touches them, wakes them up. And look at this. I love this. If you want to underline this in your Bible in verse 8. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Matthew just made a bold, bold sentence. There is no more Moses. There is no more Elijah. There is only Jesus. I mean, this is a radical, radical notion that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is everything. And what, what he, and what Matthew's doing here to just drive this home is he's comparing the story of Mount Sinai with what's happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me just give you guys some notes of just some parallels that are happening here just because I like to nerd out sometimes on the Bible. Anyways, number one, in both stories, the main characters go up on a high mountain with God. Number two, in both stories, three men go with the main character. Moses takes Joshua, Aaron, and Hur. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. Number three, in both cases, a cloud covers the mountain. Exodus 24, 16 says, For six days the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day the Lord called to Moses. In both Matthew and Mark, the gospel writers are careful to tell us that it was six days that Jesus took the disciples up on the mountain. 
In both stories, nothing happened for six days, and then on the seventh day, God spoke. In both stories, God spoke from a cloud. In both stories, God's glory appeared and changed or transfigured the appearance of the principal figures as they were spoken to by God. And number eight, the glory of God settled on both mountains. I mean, and again, for, and Peter kind of knew what's going on here. It's why he responded like, well, let's make some tabernacles because that's what they did in the book of Exodus. And it's like, no, 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 you're not, this isn't retelling Exodus. This is telling something greater than Exodus. This is the cosmological Exodus, the rescuer greater than Moses. Jesus was left alone. And it started changing them. And as it changes us, when we see the resurrected Christ, it becomes the focus of our soul. Number two, not only are we being formed by the seeing of the resurrected Christ, number two says we are being formed by the spirit of the resurrected Christ. Romans 8, 11 through 17. Listen to how powerful this is. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I mean, do you hear what he just said? The Holy Spirit, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. He's in you. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. Exists in us. What, what does that mean? What does that, what does that do for us? Well, it, if, you, if you keep reading, it describes the work of this Spirit and what He's calling us back to. Let's go down to verse 14. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit. We are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. And listen to this, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, the Holy Spirit's job, I mean, I, I, I didn't grow up in, in kind of a charismatic circle or Pentecostal circle. It wasn't until later in my life I was exposed, but when I was, the Holy Spirit was oftentimes talked about when it comes to gifts, um, spiritual gifts, and, and, and empowerment, and, 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 those, and there's space for all of that. But in this section, it, it refers to the job of the Holy Spirit is it comes and it reminds us who you are. You're a child. You're a child. You've been adopted. You have the right to call him Abba, Father. He, he reminds us the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And it says that we are now heirs with Christ. Well, what, what's, I mean, what's the inheritance Christ has? Everything. He's on the right hand of the Father. He's ruling and reigning the cosmos right now. If we're co-heirs with Christ, think about what that means for us because we're his children and the Holy Spirit tells and testifies again, uh, to our spirit again and again and again. Don't forget who you are because how many of us, the problems we face in life is because we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten whose we are. The fear that racks our hearts, it comes from a place where we're not sure exactly, are we really God's children? 
The, the, the pleasure that we pursue often comes from places, is God really what is the fulfillment of our desires? And the Holy Spirit comes along and it reminds us, no, no, this is who you are. And that's how we're changed. We, it's not enough for us just to see the resurrected Christ. Lots of people saw Jesus raised from the dead, but it's when the Holy Spirit comes in and reminds you who you are that all of a sudden you're not just, you're not just a child, but you're a child who is an heir with this resurrected Christ. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. One, one last passage I just wanted to share with you guys today. This is in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And the reason why I wanted to share this verse is because when Jesus showed up on the scene, his first sermon he ever gave, uh, the passage he chose to preach from, if you will, was this one. It was a passage written 700 years before he ever existed, a passage that was from the prophet Isaiah talking about himself, talking about Jesus and what he would come to do. And listen how he starts it. The words that begin this prophecy are what? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus himself as fully God as he was, was also fully man. And he comes and the message he says is, the spirit of God is on me and this is what he's caused me to do. And, and tell me, does this not sound like resurrection life to you? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort everyone who mourns, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I mean, does that not just sound like resurrection? If you're mourning, there's joy for you. You're in prison, there's freedom. You're brokenhearted, there's healing. Because I'm the God of the resurrection, and the Spirit of God is upon me to proclaim this message. And when we look upon the resurrected Christ, we realize that that same Spirit is upon us. That becomes our identity, our message, and our mission is resurrection. If you're, if you're in a situation in your life right now that just feels dead, a relationship, a dream, a career, do you realize that we are to look into the face of God who has resurrected Jesus Christ to remind us that that is our future, that is our destiny, and that is our identity. There is not a situation, a relationship, a dream, a job. There is not a disease. There is nothing in this world that God cannot come and bring life into it when everything seemed like it's death. And for those of you who are in there like, well, why hasn't he done it? Well, I think he actually explains this. If you go back to Romans and it says that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, the road to the resurrection went through the path of the cross. So if you're suffering right now and you're like, man, my life does not feel like resurrection, then maybe you're just, maybe you're just sharing in Christ's sufferings. But know that it doesn't end there. It doesn't end in suffering. It ends in life. 
when resurrection shows up, nothing ends in death. It can't. So as we think about the end goal of our hearts, it is a heart that is beloved by God, and it is a heart that is resurrected in its entirety. There's nothing that will not be touched by the life of God. And the only two things it tells us in this passage is it's because we've looked and seen. We've been formed by the seeing of the resurrected Christ, and we've been formed by the spirit of the resurrected Christ. That's why we worship It's why we read scripture. It's why we look intently into these things so that we may see more accurately the resurrected Christ. And it's why we as a church continually to rely on the Holy Spirit because if he's not doing that in us, we'll miss it. So this is what I'd like to do this morning. If you just bow your heads with me, I would love to pray Isaiah 61 over you. I just want to pray this resurrection prophetic passage over your life and then as we do, we just invite the Holy Spirit to come and do what he does and breathe into dry bones, right? To breathe life into where there's none. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here in this place. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have anointed us. Thank you that you've brought good news to the poor. God, thank you that you have bound up the brokenhearted, that you proclaim freedom to those who are in captivity, the opening of prison doors to those who are bound. Holy Spirit, thank you for proclaiming that this is a year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance for our God to comfort every person who mourns. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are bringing a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You bring oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that we may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Would you be glorified, God? Father, thank you that your son's life did not end on at Calvary, But even through his death, he was raised again and now is seated the right hand of God. Father, would we know that is our our inheritance, that is our identity, that is the rendering of our heart you want to place before us this morning. We are beloved and we have the spirit who's raised Jesus from the dead inside of us. So I pray for every person in this room who just feels they've been walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I pray life. I pray light. I pray redemption. God, that they would leave this morning infused with hope. An undeniable, unshakable, secure hope, Lord God, that you have them in your mighty resurrected hands and I pray that we would be the brothers and sisters who come alongside those who are in seasons of grief and mourning and loss and confusion and darkness and pain and would we be those who come alongside and would we be a source of strength and life through your spirit Lord in Jesus name 
Amen. Thank you.